We are in the book of Acts today. Uh, we're going to be in there for a while. We're actually in uh, chapter 2 today. So grab your Bible. You can grab it out of the pew if you need it. Uh, we want you to look it up. Uh, we always go through this. It might get annoying sometimes when I'm explaining how to get to Acts. And you're here every week and you're thinking, yeah, we know how to get to Acts now. Um, but we so want you looking at the Word. I might say some crazy stuff that's not in the Word and you need to be able to see that. Uh, I'll try not to do that, but uh, that's part of it, is seeing the word for yourself, that you know that. So Acts, near the end of your Bible, um, you can see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, and you know that we're there, uh, you'll know you're there. So chapter 2 today, uh, in chapter 1, uh, we saw the, the apostles had just finished watching Jesus ascend into the sky, and, and just afterwards, or just before that, Jesus had told them uh, that he was calling them to be a, a witness of the gospel to the end of the earth. They were going to take that message uh, to the end of the earth. And, and after that, they head to Jerusalem to wait for the very thing that Jesus told them to wait for, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so <clears throat> they've been there for 10 days now. They've been praying together, uh, spending time together, just meeting together. Uh, and finally, in our text today, we're going to see the Holy Spirit actually arrive. Um, so um, our passage today then is just, just recounting really... One of the most amazing, greatest moments in the history of the world. Not the history of the church, but the history of the world. Um, and so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the first 13 verses of chapter 2, and then next week we'll finish up chapter 2. Uh, but we're going to do this in two parts. Uh, we'll start with verses 1 through 4, and then we'll pray and we'll get going. So follow along. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we see in this text. Uh, you sending the third person of the Trinity to dwell in your people. Uh, what an amazing day that must have been. And yet, here we are, also recipients of that same Holy Spirit. Here we are living the miracle of faith, which is an amazing work of the Spirit. Uh, may we be encouraged as your people today, uh, as we look uh, at this passage with, with great attention uh, to this amazing event in history. Uh, God, help us to see how amazing this is, how amazing you are. It's the name of our Savior we pray. Amen. So like I said, it's been almost 10 days since they watched Jesus ascend. Uh, and the apostles are here. They're together. Uh, they're still waiting. And, and then they're told, we're told that the day of Pentecost arrives. How many of you know off the top of your head what the word Pentecost means? Just sign your hand. Okay, that's the way I typically was. Uh, I used to think this was some awesome word, maybe something in Latin that meant like the Holy Spirit arrived or, or you know, like baptism with fire, something cool. Um, it's not. It's really nothing cool at all. It's a Greek word that means 50. Um, Pentecost sounds way better than just, the, you know, the festival of 50, though, in English. Uh, and they call it that uh, because this festival was also the Jewish festival. It was a Jewish festival that was celebrated in early June, and, and it had a couple of different names. Some call it the Feast of Weeks. You ever heard that phrase before? Okay, a couple of you, not many, or you're zoned me out and they're just staring at me. Uh, one or the other. And, and here's why they call it the Feast of Weeks. I found this pretty interesting. It's because uh, a week is seven days, a part I hope you know. 
Uh, and so a week of weeks is seven weeks. Do your math right there, right? Seven times seven, how many days is that? Is it too early for math? You did it, good job. 49. And then the next day is the 50th day after Passover, or as it is known, Pentecost. 50, there you go. See how amazing that is? Uh, this is also a festival uh, that was called the Feast of Harvest. And that's because it was a time when the, when the harvest began and they would celebrate these first fruits and they would show up with these first fruits and they're thanking God for it. And all the while with this hope of the complete harvest that was to come at a later date. Uh, I love that. I love that because it's fitting that on that day uh, we see the Holy Spirit come. And with it, we see the first fruits of this great harvest that God will gather uh, through the work of his Holy Spirit, uh, his people. Um, that we're going to see a great harvest throughout history. And, and so the day of Pentecost comes, and then we're told that the Holy Spirit uh, arrives suddenly. And the first way that they, they see this, the first way that the people in the room experience this, is a mighty rushing wind. See, what's really interesting is, is if you look a little closer at the text there, there's not a wind. It says the sound of wind, right? It's the noise of wind that filled the room, and you can imagine that's even stranger. Something like, okay, so I had this idea. I know it's not too early. You can do this. If you would all make the noise together, Jacob saw where I was going with that. He's shaking his head at me. We can make a similar noise. Just, can you do that? Come on. I know you're not that mature. I see you all the time. You even got hand motions back there. One more time. All right, that is pathetic. We're not making much noise. Uh, but you can imagine that moment if just the sound of wind was in here, how much even weirder it'd be that there is no wind, just the sound of it, uh, particularly in an era where you didn't have things to, to amplify or iPods to make the noise. Um, and it would have been absolutely shocking to them. Uh, and so not only uh, was there, no, was there a, a sound of the Spirit coming, but there was also this visual aspect of the Holy Spirit's arrival that day. Uh, it's what John the Baptist in Luke 3.16 refers to uh, when, he, when he says that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, fire in, in the scriptures is often a, a visual representation of our invisible God. Uh, you remember the story of Moses, right? He, he's speaking to God, and God is speaking to him, rather, uh, through a bush that is on fire. Uh, and the situation there, one of the miracles of that is that the bush is not consumed, that here is a fire that does not actually burn up the bush. Uh, as God is speaking to him. Uh, Hebrews 12.29 speaks of God also as a fire, only in this case, it, it's the exact opposite situation where it's referring to God as deserving our respect, deserving our awe, uh, in, in that sense. And there in Hebrews it says that our God is a consuming fire. Man, what a beautiful picture. Our God is a consuming fire. And you see, long before this moment in, in history, fire was synonymous with, with light. We don't think of that. You see, light reveals what would otherwise be hidden in the darkness. And until 1880, when, when the electric light bulb was finally figured out enough that people could use it, uh, the only source of light in a home was a, was a candle or a fire of some sort. And so the Holy Spirit here is seen as, as tongues of fire resting on each person. This is fitting, particularly when you consider that one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is to reveal truth. Um, the truth of the gospel to the hearts of those who will have faith in Christ. And so the connection of the light to truth is, is why we have that phrase, right? Uh, I've been enlightened. 
Usually we mean that for real shallow things. We experience some food. I've been enlightened, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but really, the, the meaning there is, uh, what we're seeing here is that you see something now uh, that was always there, but, but in the darkness, you didn't have the light to see it. Uh, that enlightened, that now you're seeing it finally. In our text, then, the Holy Spirit rushes in, and we don't see where it comes from, uh, but the text itself tells us that it comes from heaven, which, of course, is where Jesus is. We've just seen him ascend, right? We don't know exactly where that is, but we know that, it's, that Jesus is the one who has sent it from heaven. And, and, and it calls it a, a helper here, helper meaning he gives us strength to accomplish what God calls us to do, to sanctify us, uh, and to apply the gospel, uh, giving us faith. Uh, to make us witnesses to the gospel. And, and now in the Greek, there's three words. This is one of those things in Greek that makes no sense. There's, they have three words for love, and we're always impressed with them. Like, oh, the Greek have three words for love, and they must really love a lot. Um, but they only have one word, uh, the same word that is used for, for spirit and used for wind. Uh, the word pneuma, you've probably seen it used before. It's commonly transliterated that way into English. Uh, and so if you want to say uh, spirit, you say pneuma. And if you want to say winds, you say pneuma. That can be a little confusing. Um, context is the way that you know what's being spoken of. And, and really, the beauty of this is that it makes all sorts of wordplay possible because of one word being used in two ways. Uh, you might remember uh, John 3, 5, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish leader there, a guy named Nicodemus, and, and he says to him, Truly, truly, I, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And what we see there is this, this condition of truly becoming a, a Christian is to be born of the Spirit. Uh, there is no other way. Um, we don't will ourselves to be born spiritually any more than we will ourselves to have been born physically. None of you made that decision for yourself, I promise you. Um, see, we are simply the recipients of, of this new life through the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit. And just like the Spirit back in Genesis 2, uh, we're told is hovering over the waters in the process of creation of the world. And so here we see this beautiful picture of the Spirit, the same Spirit, hovering over these men and these women who are becoming uh, new creations in Christ. That's the way it happens. Um, that's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us. It, it reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. There is this new creation accomplished by the Spirit of God. And, and Jesus' point back in John 3, which we were looking at earlier, is that the Spirit indwells people, making them to believe. He says it like, like this. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. Sound familiar? But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So in our text here today, here at, at Pentecost, they hear the sound of the Holy Spirit. But they don't know who it will come to, go to next or who it will come to next. And so what we see is them just proclaiming the gospel indiscriminately to everyone who will listen. And, and knowing this, this is one of those things I see and I just love because <clears throat> it gives me hope for family members and friends who seem so far from believing uh, the scriptures, from, from believing the gospels. And, and I see this, and it gives me this hope that the Spirit of God might come upon them, causing regeneration by grace through faith. Man, that's wonderful hope. That way I stop evaluating them, thinking, wow, they're so far, why do I even bother? You just proclaim the gospel indiscriminately and let God do his work. 
Um, and you look at this text and you might think, you know, that's not the way it happens. And, and, and you look at this and you see this and say, no, it's the other way around. That they were followers of Christ first and, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, this is a unique moment in history. This is this transition point in history. This is the moment that the Holy Spirit comes to live permanently in the people of God. See, in a sense, God's presence in the Old Testament was localized in the temple. That's where they went to see God. That's where they went to worship God. That's where everything happened. Uh, but in this moment, that changes. This, this is when the presence of God goes mobile, in a sense, um, dwelling in, in, the, in people, in Christians, rather, um, every Christian, in fact. And not just for a moment, but, but forever. Forever. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.19 makes this very clear. It says, or Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And I hope you notice our, our text, verse 4, uh, says, Not some, but all were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, Christian, do you know that at this very moment, the Spirit of God actually dwells in you? That's weird. But it's true. That's what we see in Scripture. You see, the, the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to you. It's through the Spirit that, that we have union with Christ. And that means that the righteousness of Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, becomes your righteousness. Right? You don't have any righteousness, but Jesus does, and he applies that to you. And, and so the Holy Spirit is, is also powerfully working to sanctify you, to make you more like Jesus, more holy. Remember Galatians 5, right? We have the famous phrase, the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and so on. And you can probably sing the song. Don't. Um, see, today, if you are more loving than you were five years ago, that's because the Spirit of God dwells in you and is empowering you. It doesn't mean you're super loving or the most loving person on the planet or struggle in that area at all. But it's a work of the Spirit to sanctify you, to make you more loving. Uh, another work of the Holy Spirit is, is he makes us bold to be witnesses of the gospel. We, we see here in verse 4 that they begin to speak in other languages. And that's not some, some heavenly language that, that sounds like, like babbling. Uh, it's not as we commonly think of tongues. We, we can deal with that in Corinthians. But, but here we're looking at something specifically. There's absolutely no interpreter needed because the miracle here is that they are speaking in the language, of the, na uh, the native language of the people that are gathered there. Um, we see immediately the Holy Spirit will, uh, will be the power here by which the Great Commission is accomplished. No matter what. Uh, we see that God can overcome what seems like absolutely insurmountable obstacles for the sake of sharing the gospel. They don't speak their language, no problem. Now you do. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, right off the bat, you see that God's going to accomplish this. And now look at this, this next section. We're going to move on to the uh, verses 5 to the end, verses 13. And I want you to follow along as I read it, and then we'll look a little closer. <clears throat> I like to read it out of the actual text. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each, each of us in his own native language? Parthians, and the Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, 
Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled with new wine. See, these people here are called devout men because these are, these are Jews. Uh, they were devout Jewish men. And, and they were seeking to follow God. And they'd come to this Feast of Pentecost to be a part of that. Remember, this hadn't gone to the Gentiles yet. Uh, and so it's just Jews they're speaking to. But, uh, but they, too, hear this sound of the roaring wind. And they come to see what's going on. You, you can imagine anyone in this building, if we'd gotten loud enough, might come in here to see what is going on in there. Um, and they would have seen us all sitting normal. But uh, in this case, they show up. And when they approach, they begin to hear their native language being spoken to them. Uh, I can remember years ago being in inland Mexico, not on the border, but way, way into Mexico, and just being uh, absolutely shocked where you get so used to hearing uh, Spanish around you that that sounds normal. And then in a grocery store, hearing someone speak your language, you just, you hear it above everything else, and you just, it's, it's kind of amazing. The fact that, you know, here's someone who looks like native Mexican in the middle of Mexico speaking absolutely perfect English is just a, a shocking, surprising thing to find. And, and the fact here that, that, that they hear Galileans speaking their native language completely bewilders them. Um, that's because Galileans were, were country bumpkins. Uh, it's like, you remember the Beverly Hillbillies? Uh, if you can imagine them speaking fluent French, um, that's kind of what they're starting to experience here. Like, uh, there's no nice way to say it. These were rednecks. Uh, and, and the fact that they were coming off speaking this language is, is just an amazing thing for them to see. And, and that's why it also says that they were amazed and astonished. Uh, the list of people here includes uh, 15 different nations all surrounding both to the east and the west and the south and the north of, of Jerusalem. Uh, we also see in the list that word proselytes. <clears throat> these were people who had converted from paganism uh, to Judaism, Judaism. And, and uh, what we see here is this extended quote. I don't know if you picked up on that, verse 7 to 12. It, it is an extended quote. It's from one of the people included in that list, one who heard a Galilean speaking in their language, in their own language, and, and someone who must have come to believe the gospel at this very moment, uh, and he's telling his story to Luke, and Luke just quotes him word for word. I actually remember some years ago reading Acts 2 and, and seeing something, something different here. Uh, you might be like me. Usually, usually when I've read over this passage, I get caught up in the miracle of them speaking other languages. And I, and I begin to face that, that internal question, you know, why, why didn't God do this today? You know, I, I kind of think I, I want to walk on the, on the campus over at, at K-State and, and walk into some foreign exchange student uh, meeting and just speak their language perfectly. And I think, yeah, that'll, that'll be an amazing thing. They'll be so impressed. They'll believe the gospel, right? Um, I'll speak Mandarin or French or that click-clack language. Though. No one speaks that there, do they? Um, but kind of that, that thinking of you go in there and, and this amazing miracle is what will accomplish something. But, but um, like I said, I was reading this one morning and I, and I saw something different than the miracle of speaking different languages. At this time, it was the end of that sentence that had me scratching my head. I, I tend to think um, they were given some rehearsed gospel presentation. That's not what we see there, though, is it? Uh, what's the text say? Verse 11 says, the people of God were telling those around them from various nationalities. See that last phrase? Here's what they were telling them, the mighty works of God. The mighty works of God. Um, it wasn't the Roman road, which is fine if you 
I want to share the Roman road. It wasn't something from evangelism explosion, which is also fine. But we see here that they are telling them the mighty works of God. And that absolutely does include the gospel. But it speaks to those early Christians and their proclamation of the greatness and the mightiness of God to people, no matter what culture they're coming from, no matter what their actual beliefs are. Um, and they just speak about the mighty works of their God. And, and I confess, I am not always as bold as I, I wish. And I fear that part of the reason I'm not as bold as I wish when I'm speaking to people is this false assumption that if I'm going to speak of God, it needs to be an actual gospel presentation at that moment. Uh, that that's what I need to use this time with a stranger to do, to, to share some memorized gospel presentation. But, but here we see this very, the very early Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit, speak of the mighty works of God. So what do they say? You know, what are the mighty works of God? Is it creation? Creation of everything? Is it looking backwards to their deliverance from Egypt? Uh, something like the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus does that. Is it the rising of, of Lazarus from the dead, a miracle like that? I don't know. I don't know what they're sharing. And I love that it doesn't tell us because God has done some amazing works in the past worthy of being spoken of. And those early disciples saw mighty works uh, and, that God is still doing. Um, and in fact, you and I are still seeing God do mighty works today. I don't know that we realize that. So the Greek word translated here also means, you know, the one that's for mighty is magnificent, splendid, wonderful works. Doesn't mean a miracle in any, every moment. This ought to get us thinking, though, about the way that we, we speak about God today compared to the way we're seeing these, these early Christians speak about God. And, and I don't mean in tongues. I, I mean how we speak with the wonderful works of God on, on my lips, on your lips, all the time. And that means first we've got to stop and consider what the mighty works of God are. And I don't think we get to that step very often. Um, little things like, you know, the sun came up today. That's not electric lights behind those over there. It is over there. Um, but over there, it's the actual sun coming up. Or like, I was sick last week and, and God healed me. Or the mighty works like, I'm a sinner who, despite growing up in a very skeptical environment, now lives by faith in the only Son of God. That's a mighty work. Or that God gave me a wife who is amazing, uh, even though I did not have the wisdom at the time to make a wise choice. That's grace. Uh, or, of course, the mightiest work of, God, work of all, that Jesus, the all-powerful, laid down his life on the cross to save a wretch like me. Or simply that God forgives sins. Like, is that something we speak of because it's true and it's mighty? So we need to, to learn to do this better, all of us, to, to see the mighty works of God in Scripture and in our lives and then to speak of God even, even if we know those that we speak to deny God and are going to think we're nuts for it. See, too many of our conversations are built around the lowest common denominator. I mean, that's been my experience. Is that your experience? Uh, you know, if we just ignore God exists, because certainly they don't believe he exists. Uh, let's not talk about that, because we might differ on that. Uh, and so we end up missing out on speaking about the greatness uh, of God in our lives. See, when we, when we speak of the, the mighty works of God, even in English, which is not nearly as amazing as we're seeing here, right? Uh, but when we speak about it, even in English, to those who speak English, uh, we can expect a variety of responses. And we see just that in the text. See, uh, the next few verses in Acts say, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? 
But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. See, here we see people witness a miracle, and they respond in two very different ways. Uh, one group, we're very interested. Tell me more. What does this mean? Uh, they just witness this, and they just tell me more. Uh, that's one response. Some people you speak to will love to hear what you have to say. Tell me more about the greatness of God. Share more about that. That's going to be exciting. Those are the moments you get encouraged. But others are going to hear the exact same message, the exact same statement about God, and they will respond by mocking you, thinking that you are crazy or naive, um, even if they don't voice it to you. You know, here in our text, you can see what they think. They've been drinking new wine. They're accusing them of being drunk. Everything you say is because you are completely drunk. Uh, and next week, we'll see a great defense of that. <clears throat> uh, and here's the deal, though. Um, they might think that about you, but that's okay. It really is. Because it's not us. It's the mighty works of God who does the mighty work of giving sight to the blind. That's why I love this. Because uh, like I mentioned earlier, I tend to think if we could do this today, then everyone would believe, right? If we could go out and just do a miracle like this, man, like everyone would have to believe. And yet here is a miracle occurring before them as people who don't know how to speak Italian begin to speak Italian uh, in Italian, the mighty works of God, and these people see it, and, and some will come to believe and some will not. The fact that anyone believes at all really is the greater miracle here. And what this means when we see this in our text is that God redeems people. So the sight of miracles doesn't redeem people, nor the experience of tongues or anything else. It's the work of the Spirit. And I'm praying for God uh, <clears throat> to do in me and, and you today, or what I'm asking Him to do in me and you today, is to give us a boldness to speak. Not asking anything huge, crazy, um, we could, but just a simple boldness to speak, to be a witness, and, and that he might let us watch the Holy Spirit work the miracle of faith in the heart of someone who comes to believe in the gospel. Someone who comes to believe in the forgiveness of sin. And so we're going to stop with our text here, and, and this leaves us with, with the question that's being asked of the people here uh, in the text. What does this mean? What does this mean that Galileans are, are speaking in foreign languages that they do not know? And, and, and what does it mean that they're filled with the Holy Spirit? We're going to see the answer next week when, when previously timid Peter, remember who's just always denying and uh, afraid, next stands up to address the, this question. And I, like I said, we're going to look at that next week. Today, though, I, I just want you to remember that, that Pentecost is, is not just a big day for those who were present in that moment. Um, so don't get caught up in thinking, boy, I wish I was there and got to witness that. Uh, you're experiencing the fruit of Pentecost in your own life. Um, it is a big day for everyone who has or will believe the gospel in every generation. It means, it means that if your faith is in Christ today, you are actually filled with the third person of the Trinity, uh, the person we call the Holy Spirit. And that's a powerful reality. Uh, also, before we pray, let me remind you, uh, one way to apply this to your life immediately today, and I mean this, I think sometimes we hear stuff and walk out and that's the end of it. Um, but this, consider the mighty works of God. Look for them. Actively look for them. And, and start by speaking to, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ about this. Sometimes we're even afraid in that scenario. Um, 
Ask each other. Parents, ask your children. Children, be prepared to answer this. Uh, you know, what are some of the mighty works of God you've seen, you've experienced? Um, you know, pray and ask God to, to help you <clears throat> rest in his strength and power to, to speak of God to others who need to hear the gospel, uh, that they need to hear that God is real, uh, that God is mighty, and that he's full of grace. Let's pray. Lord, at times in our lives, we feel alone. Uh, we see, God, you, you're just so distant from us. And yet we see in this text today <clears throat> that if you've given us faith in Christ, that our, our feelings betray us. For you're not only close, but you are living within us. Um, we learn later in Corinthians that we're temples of the Holy Spirit, that you are at home with us. Lord, make us to know this, not, not to know the fact that you dwell in us, but to know the comfort, to know the confidence, the hope, the strength that comes from the truth that we are from the moment you saved us, filled with the spirit of the one who saved us. Uh, give us boldness to speak of your mighty works, God. Uh, give us excitement when we see them. Uh, help us to be excited at your mighty power. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.